A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of The Call, I've got a favor to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of the call in the Apple podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at osbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Hello, welcome back to Ozpiz. Uh, for the next hour or so, you are watching the call. Ten stocks that you suggest, and one stock of the stock of the day that I choose that's beating the news, and we put it to our expert panel today. Uh, one of the best, uh, Scott Phillips from uh, Motley Fool joins us. Scott, how are you, sir? Roger, you well. I'm well, thank you very much. I'm on Team Prison Bar, mate, for the record. <laughs> Excellent for those who are not following AFL. You probably have no idea what we're talking about. But uh, <laughs> if you are in the southern states, uh, it has been a fairly heated topic on uh, Guernsey's in my team, Port Adelaide. Um, and Mark Morland from Team Invest joins us as well to, as part of the panel. Mark, how are you? Excellent, excellent. Good, Good to be good. here. Good. Uh, neither of you, Scott, were you in um, Dogecoin or whatever it's called? Uh, <laughs> Dogecoin. Uh, over, over the weekend when um, when Elon Musk called it a hustle and it dropped, what did it drop 30% in price for cryptocurrency? Happy, happy to have missed that one altogether, Koshi. I was half watching. I can't quite bring myself to care enough to watch that closely, but it's hard to escape the headlines. You know what? A currency, a Bitcoin equivalent cryptocurrency created as a joke. Uh, Phil will make you money off it. Maybe that's the bigger joke. I'm not sure where we even go with that one, but uh, not surprised to see it fall, mate. One truly, one well and truly left alone. Okay. Uh, yeah, actually, it's interesting. Charlie Munger, um, who hates cryptocurrencies full stop, yeah. he described it. He said, it's like, he said, you, you, you're watching and there's this market brewing in, in turds and everyone's buying turds and you, you FOMO, <laughs> you feel like it's missing out. So you've got to get amongst it and you want to buy some turds as well. well That's Dogecoin. Well, yeah, yeah. But, but also crypto is all up. I know. Do you no. invest in crypto? Yeah, so? I've got some Bitcoin and some Ethereum. But right. that's only in from um, from a cash uh, position in super where I had some. So I put some right. at my wife's. Uh, yeah, why? Behest. Why? Uh, but I think it's. I think it's. I think it's likely to keep going because of uh, the amount of institutional money coming into Bitcoin and Ethereum. Now, I'm not into Dogecoins, all that sort of stuff. Right. Uh, right. I've done very well so far, but I treat it as speculative. Yeah. Only. So yeah. it's a. It's yeah. a. It's a place. A place See, for me to park some cash at the moment. I don't quite understand what it is. Sort of, I say, okay, what is a cryptocurrency? Well, you mine it. You get a unit. Because supercomputers solve complex algorithms and you get a unit as a result. Mm-hmm. And I go, okay, that sounds good, but what does that mean? Well, it's designed, the way they designed it on the blockchain. Like blockchain, I understand yeah, okay. and think is okay. terrific. Well, the mining process, what that does is that limits the supply and it can never go past 21 million. 
it's designed. But what happens is as as the there's currently 18 million bitcoins in circulation. So as yeah. it gets closer and closer to its it its structural limit, it gets more and more. It's more and more difficult to solve the challenges to create new bitcoins. So it's exponential. So as the price goes up. They can mine more, but then the, the, it, get, it has a halving, it's called, and it gets harder again. But what is the value? Well, the value, you can say, what's the value of uh, cash? I mean, the ca value of cash is the government says it has that value. Yeah. So it's an alternative. Or markets. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, I'm not, I'm not suggesting it. I don't believe it's a currency. I don't right. see Bitcoin as that at all. At all. But you know, it's sort of replacing gold in a lot of a lot of argument, a lot of ways because people right. are saying I used to buy gold because I had uh, I didn't have confidence in the government printing new, printing printing money right. in the U.S. and so on or right. hyperinflation or whatever. So right. gold was a like a long term long term store of value. I think Bitcoin's in the same sort of category. It's sort okay. of anti institutional. But you uh, we're getting off yeah. the track okay. here. Sorry, Scott, but but you follow yeah. Warren Buffett's rules. Yeah, yeah. And I ask a question: Do you understand? Is it regulated in a regulated market? No. Yes, yes, it is. Uh, do you understand the people behind it? Well, no, because they're all, all anonymous and they're mystery. Do you have confidence in the people running it? Well, no, because I don't know who they are. Yeah, I, we, we could answer this, but it would take it, would take it half an hour. <laughs> okay, so you're a convert. Uh, Scott, are you into cryptos? Gosh, I have a hundred bucks worth of Bitcoin I bought about five years ago just to do the Ooh. whole skin in the game, find out how it all works. Um, You've done well. Apparently it's gone up and down. I mean, apparently it's gone up and down since then. But the joke, of course, I bought it using an app called Coinbase, which doesn't allow Australian buyers to actually sell their Bitcoin. So whether I wanted to or not, I've got, I've got how much Bitcoin is left after that. Um, I, I think it's probably 800 bucks or something worth. I don't know what it's worth yeah, now. Yeah. It was literally just a, case, just a case of, you know, we, we had a lot of people asking about it. So I wanted to just basically go yeah. through the process yeah, to understand good. what was required. Well, yeah. in fact, uh, we are dedicating Thursday's edition of the call purely to cryptocurrencies. And we're going to go through all the main ones uh, with two experts on the panel. Uh, look at where they are at the moment. Would you be investing in them? How the charts look and things like that. So it is fascinating at the moment. All right, let's get on to uh, more conventional uh, investments and that shares in companies and uh, stock of the day. I thought we'd take a look at Boral. Uh, Boral has recommended shareholders reject Seven Group Holdings $6.50 a share off-market offer, saying that uh, it is inadequate. In a bidder statement, Seven, which took the offer to Boral shareholders after market last night, said it would be satisfied if the deal ended up with it holding a 30% stake, but added it had to make an offer for the whole company due to creep provision regulation. Yeah. Um, so, Scott, what do you what do you think of the takeover offer? If you're a Boral shareholder, uh, should you accept Seven Group's offer, and uh, or just sit back? Okay, so a couple of questions in there, Kosh. I'll do the last one first because it's easier. Should you accept the offer? No, because right. there's no need to. There's no risk in not doing it. Um, and so, frankly, there's no point. Just you know, just let 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 time and and further announcements tell their or, or you know take their course and then decide what to do. So day one, don't do anything, never do anything on day one. There's no yep. need to. Um, second one, what I think of the takeover offer. Look, I think if you're a if you're a borrower shareholder, you're pretty happy. I think the shares are down on the back of or have, have been down. So the earnings are down. Uh, and I think there is some sense that Kerry Stokes believes there's an opportunity here. Of course, owning 23% of the business, he wants the rest. And that makes some sense. Look, it's a great show of confidence in the company is the first thing. So if the takeover doesn't happen, you should feel pretty good as a shareholder that not only have you got Kerry Stokes on board, but he's also basically wanting to pony up more to take the rest of it off you. So you should feel pretty good about that. 
And of course, the board is supposed to say no. There is a, an unwritten but a very clear playbook for every director on the ASX. Whenever the first offer is made, you reject it out of hand no matter what. Because why would you take the first offer, like any good auction or any good sale process? You say no the first time, hope someone comes back with a better price and go from there. So right. this is all the usual dance, well scripted. Just give it right. a miss for now and wait to see what happens. Would you get in as a new shareholder or have you missed the boat? I generally wouldn't, Koshi, particularly because yeah. if the deal, let's say it does go ahead and there is no further offer, your, your upside's pretty capped here. Now, if the deal doesn't go ahead, uh, and the shares fall again, you think about the size of the upside versus the size of the downside, I'd be a little bit concerned. I don't think the upside is as clear. Certainly if you're doing it for the takeover, it just makes no sense to jump in now. There are better ways to do that. Um, these things, you, know, you might make an easy 5 10 15%, maybe, although the offer is 650 at the moment, so it's trading above that. Uh, but even if it was a little bit higher, let's say it was 7 bucks, maybe you make $0.40, cents, maybe it doesn't go ahead to respect to $6. Um, you just, it's yeah. just not a game worth playing. The odds aren't in your favour, generally okay. speaking. Nah. Um, I agree with most of that. Um, yeah. I think the offer is actually pretty fair. And the reason it's fair is it's currently on a, uh, a borrower's currently on a PE of about 50. And the reason is the share price hasn't actually gone down to match the earnings decline. Right. So if you look at their earnings now, they're currently about 16 cents per share. They were 40 cents uh, two, three years ago. And, yeah. and that's been the high. Yeah. So let's say they're going to get back to 40 again. Then there's about, you could say, well, there's three times uh, growth in earnings there, which right. would bring the PE down to about 15 or six, to say 20, maybe a bit less than 20, 18 or 15, which is, I'd say is pretty fair. Yeah. So you're actually, he's paying for, I think, normalizing the earnings. Okay. So, it, it, I mean, there's no, I agree with, there's no panic um, to get yeah. out of it, but I definitely wouldn't buy it. Right. Uh, okay. Porrell's figures are actually pretty ordinary. Uh, they have been for years. Their return on equity is quite low. It's never, it's really, it hasn't been over 10 in a decade. Yeah. You know, so it's a pretty mediocre company from a performance point of view. Ah. So uh, I'd be looking for getting out of it on the offer or as it may, maybe it'll improve. It depends on whether someone else comes out of the woodwork, which sure. you know, who knows? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. It's an interesting one. And uh, uh, the US division is the one that's been holding it back a bit yep. Yep. over the years. Yeah. All right. Let's get into uh, the stocks you want us to take a look at. And uh, Mark Aaron wants a view on Sea Link, South Australians would know Sea Link as a ferry that gets you across to Kangaroo Island, but they also own Captain Cook Cruises. They're in the um, uh, so they're in the tourist industry. They own accommodation, um, and they own uh, general uh, shipping uh, as well. So it's an interesting business, Mark. Isn't it? Uh, it is. It's very capital intensive. Yeah. Uh, it's a hard business, I think, to invest in. Um, I've, I've, we've looked at it over over the over the years. They, they took about a 50% hit on earnings uh, for Corona in 2020, right. unsurprisingly. Yep. You know, they've got tourism assets as well. They, they have picked up. It's, it's back to about 40% down now. So, right. you know, it's, it's, it's coming out of it. So that's encouraging. But it's on a very, very high PE. So if you look at the price at the moment, the trailing 12 months PE is 69 times earnings. Sure. And their EPS growth rate uh, has, hasn't been stellar. It was strong back in 2013 to 16, flat, and then it's dropped because of Corona. Right. So, you know, from all our calculations, it's looking pretty sorry, sad for itself. It's a sort of what we call a triple red, showing about a 13% negative return per year over the next five years. So okay. it's hard, it would be impossible for me to make a case for it. Right. Okay. Scott, what do you think of the ceiling? 
Yeah, I look, I want to like C-Link, Kosh. We should mention also it does have some light rail and bus business. What I didn't know before I started looking at this one, it's got 3,500 buses in the fleet, which is, which is also pretty impressive. But to Mark's point, these have been going the wrong way and the share price is going the right way, which is fantastic. <laughs> Unfortunately, though, those two don't tend to diverge for long periods of time either. Profits have to start improving or the share price is going to come back in line with the profits. And I think that's the challenge. On my numbers, I've got about 35 times earnings, give or take. It depends which numbers you use. But effectively, that's a lot to pay, a lot of expectation, a lot of hope. Uh, hope or hope, you're going to get a hope, I meant to say. Um, yeah. When it comes to the future, what the future might look like, you can't pay 35 earn times earnings for a declining business. So someone out there, maybe a lot of people out there are expecting things to improve probably quickly and probably consistently. That's probably a gutsy call, I think. It has got bigger, it has bulked up, it has diversified. Those are all good things when it comes to scale and, and performance potentially. Of course, we know that acquisitions can also go badly, but diversification is good, particularly as you say, Koshi, once upon a time, it was largely just the Kangaroo Island business and a few bits yeah. and pieces. So it's much less risky or much less uh, exposed to single assets or single routes. Unfortunately, I just think right now the price is way too expensive given the performance. I don't see enough reason to believe the turns are anytime soon. And frankly, as I said, a 35 times earnings profit have to double and it'd still be on 18 times earnings, which is not terrible, but not great. Still a doubling in profit, probably a long way away. I don't know why I'd be buying C-Link today. Sure. Okay. All right. There you go, Aaron. Good view on C-Link there. Um, Scott, Ben wants a view on another different sort of uh, transport company, if you like, uh, Transurban, the big uh, toll road owner, not only in uh, Australia, but the United States as well. This has been fascinating, Koshi. The, the return to the roads of people right around the world, and here in Australia and around the world, has been fascinating to watch, maybe macabrely fascinating given, obviously, the, the, the terrible backdrop health-wise. But um, people in Melbourne haven't yet got back to using Transurban at the original capacities. And in the US, they're even further away from that recovery. The business currently, the share price has been pretty resilient considering. Now, I don't think that's unreasonable in terms of going back to where it was. If you believe the future gets back to where the past was, the market's supposed to be forward looking. So you say, okay, I know what Transurban does. I know where its roads are. I know who uses the roads. Unless you believe there's some sort of permanent tree or sea change and the freeways are permanently or motorways permanently less busy than they were, you should expect volumes to go back. So that's not unreasonable. The problem I have, I think, is it's kind of factoring in most of that news already. Um, the current earnings yield about 2.9 percent. It has no earnings. Uh, sorry, dividend yield has no earnings, of course, because it's a it's basically a, a, a piece of debt structured as a toll road. Uh, yeah. So it hasn't, I don't think it's ever made a profit. If it has, it's a tiny one. So you can't really use the traditional PEs. You've got to kind of look at the dividend yield and then some sort of growth if you expect it. What I like about Transurban is its contracts are very, very well written. These guys got in early and first. And they got governments to agree to some spectacularly great pricing deals. They get inflation minimum, or, or sorry, they get inflation or a minimum increase, whichever is higher, not whichever is lower. Um, so it's great news for Transurban. Got them a really, really nice bit of pricing power there. That'll continue to stand them in good stead. But at a yield of 2.9%, uh, as I said, no earnings, I just think it's too expensive to buy right now. If you're an income investor, I wouldn't mind owning Transurban as part of a diversified portfolio. I'd rather people who are over consolidated in banks, for example, to put some money into a Transurban or a Sydney Airport or an APA group. So, you know, I wouldn't mind holding it if I was an income investor, but I don't see how it beats the market from here. So it's not a buy from me. Okay. All right. Mark? Um, uh, no, I agree with all that. I like uh, Scott's uh, saying it's, it's a debt it's a debt company structured as a toll, right? <laughs> That's good. Um, yeah, 250, 267% debt to equity. Right. So, I mean, this these type of structures we can't deal with. From yeah. a valuation point of view, as Scott said. Because I was going to yeah. make that point to they have funny accounting, don't they? Yeah. Because revaluations yeah. go into your P&L right. straight away, That's don't right. they? That's so right. 
mucks it all up. Yeah. So but then, but if, you come, if you cut through all that and say, we're not, let's not worry about it from a fundamental analysis and say, what is my return at the current price? And Scott says 2%. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. And you go, well, there's 2% and there's, you can't see how that's going to grow dramatically anytime soon. I mean, I don't, I don't invest for 2%. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Even for an income? Well, 2% is well, the income. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So if I don't believe there's capital growth, I mean, it's one, you look at both, you look at uh, dividend yeah. yield and also potential capital growth. To get capital growth, you really do need earnings. Yeah. And because of the way this is structured, you know, obviously we can't, we can't, it doesn't work on any of our metrics right. and, and it dies on debt, but it is a debt business. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they are. They're they're unique beasts, aren't they? Yeah, in terms yeah, of doing yeah. that. All right, um, thank you for that, Ben. Hanley uh, wants a view on Beacon Lighting, Mark, the uh, the big retailer of uh, lighting, ceiling fans, globes, hundred and ten stores um, around the country. Yes, um, it's a company that we uh, we have uh, looked at in Team Invest. Yep. Um, it has passed. Uh, <clears throat> filters at, from time to time. At the moment, uh, it's not looking that good from a, uh, pro- a return point of view. Um, its EPS growth jumped up fairly significantly uh, in Corona, like a lot of the retailers do, like AX1 and yes. so on. So they, they also enjoyed a, uh, a, lift, a lift in earnings. Uh, but the earnings have been quite flat. Now they have, and their debt's gone up. Now I suspect the debt's gone up, because uh, I haven't looked at this lately, right. because of leases, you know, the new right. accounting standards. So yeah. it, could, it could be, uh, it could be, f- well, it probably is from that. So the leases are capitalised as debt now right. going forward. Um, it's 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 a solid business. They've they've grown quite a lot. They've they've bought um, other groups. The market cap's about four hundred million. We're showing it returning about zero at the moment. So uh, yeah. at the current price, so the PE at the moment's about fifteen point nine, which doesn't sound very high. But the EPS growth rate is currently slightly negative. Uh, sales are growing at six percent a year. So you know when we come out of Corona, it, it, it's a solid business. I'm not saying it's a bad business. It's just uh, there's other retailers at the moment that are right. that are far better. Okay, so what about this building boom, Tim Manick, that's uh, pushing up, say, Harvey Norman shares, um, uh, new homes, building boom coming up. You got to stick furniture and lighting in it. Is that is uh, that an exposure well, to that, it, or it, 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 it isn't run as well? It helps. Well, I, I think it's different. It's right. a different market. I mean, they're more. They do well. They do both. They do the uh, the building side, but they make, a lot of it's retail, which yes. is you know people yeah. buying new lamps and you know, yeah, yeah. and fans and things yeah. like that. Yeah. And, and that's okay. And they've had a lift from that anyway. Yeah. Uh, whether whether that'll continue, as I said, it's not a bad business. Right. It's just that if you look at the return, I would buy AX One or Nick Scarly or something, which is much much better. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Scott, Beacon Lighting. I want to like Beacon Lighting, Koshi, for the reasons you've highlighted. Now, I think the trend is probably fair, or at least the, the kind of broader macro opportunity is absolutely fair. The problem you've got with Beacon is, unfortunately, both the profit and unsurprisingly, the return on equity have been falling for the past two or three straight years. And it's currently on a P, according to my name, is about 39 times earnings. Yeah. Now, if you're a retailer, now you are, you're, a, you're a branded retailer, you do largely some of your own products, some of somebody else's products. Um, I don't know how many retailers I'd want to pay 39 times earnings for. And if I did, I'd want to make sure they had a really, really both strong and long growth. In other words, a high level of growth for a long period of time. I don't know what Beacon would have to do to deliver that sort of growth. I imagine they'd have to be the only meaningful lighting store nationally. They've probably got to double, triple their stores at some point, I suppose. Um, that's a really high mountain to climb. So the business itself, as I said, unfortunately, profits have been falling. Now, again, should be expected that last year, I guess, um, but profits are down for the last two years in a row. Return on equity has been effectively declining now since 2015, just year after year after year after year. 
very, very hard to see the, the quality improvement or the growth improvement there. Again, if I'm wrong, then worth another look at some point. If they do manage to keep that growth tap turned on and find a way to grow. Mm. To Mark's point about the acquisitions, though, they've actually eroded profitability mm. in yeah. return on equity terms. That's normally a, a tough ask. So and that, I don't that think share price at a five-year high at the moment, as Mark was saying, it hasn't been great return on capital, but share price, yeah. crazy levels at the moment. And that's it, I think. But that's that's you know I was saying before about you know when profits are declining, but share prices rising, something's got to give, right? One yeah. or the other, one or the other, eventually is going to happen. Uh, I wouldn't want to bet that profits rise anytime soon. Maybe they do, as I said. I, I'm not suggesting they can't or won't. Uh, forecasting is difficult at the best of times, but realistically, as you say, almost because of that, because it's now on 35 times earnings. Um, I think it's the 39 before. It's actually 35 times earnings. Um, it's it's just remarkably hard to work out how a business like Beacon grows fast enough to justify that sort of PE. Given throw open new stores, fill it with inventory, find new markets, steal market share. That's a really really tough thing to do, and I just don't see it happening. So yes, the share yeah. price is rising, which is wonderful. If you've owned it, you've done spectacularly well. I dare say the future won't be as good as the past. Okay, all right. So uh, at these levels, if you've been a long sort of term shareholder, do you look at taking some profits? Well, I would. Yeah. Yeah. When it becomes irrational, yeah. Yeah, as Scott said, you can't have the price going up and earnings going down. Yeah, it, it's just it's not sustainable. Mm. Okay, yeah. Scott, would you be taking profits at these levels? Yeah, I think I would, Koshy. I, right. I mean, as always, you want to consider the tax you got to pay, and at some point, if you've got yeah. to pay tax on, you know, if you made a squillion dollars and you're going to lose too much, then that takes care of some of the negative return for you. But yeah, I, I think there's got to be better opportunities out there. Okay. I'd happily take money off the table now. All right. Uh, Scott, Victor wants a view on Data3, um, IT services business, um, been <clears> going <throat> since 1977. I didn't realise it had been around that long. Um, uh, listed for since, oh, 1977, oh. listed in 97. Um, one of the software companies that provides enterprise systems for most businesses um, is a... Yeah, IT services, Scotty. It's can I say it's a really, really impressive thing to be able to be around for that long and, and yeah. be as successful as Data Three has managed to be. If you think about the change in technology, I don't know how many. I would have probably four, or five generations of hardware training services I've had to yeah. provide. They've gone from effectively analog through NBN and everything in between during that period of time. So it's no mean feat to be so successful in a business like that for such a long time. The challenge I think for Data Three right now is. What does the future look like? Now, the return on equity on this one, by the way, is through the roof, as you would expect, because it's largely a people business, and that's wonderful. People businesses, though, are really, really high operating leverage. When you get sales growth, generally speaking, profit goes through the roof. When you have sales decline and not much of it, profit goes through the floor and goes through the floor really, really quickly. So the question really for you as an investor is looking forwards. Now, that, that is the one that's on PE of 39 times. I got confused. This will be the high PE show, by the way. We've got, we got more to come, even, even higher levels. So stay tuned for that one. Um, you know, you've got to ask yourself, based on based on the success of the business so far, where does the growth come from? And I don't know that there's an obvious, again, a little bit like Beacon, a different business is much more scalable, much more leveraged. If if they can continue to get more customers, then fantastic and, and wonderful. The, the last five years have been great. Profits have really been growing quite nicely. Return equity has been staying high. So they've done everything well, but this is a really cyclical business. You wouldn't think IT services is. And frankly, if you don't have another economic downturn for years, maybe it goes higher before it goes lower. I don't know how you pay 40 times earnings for an IT services business in a really crowded market. Yeah. Um, I don't know that Data3 has anything particularly unique or pricing power that is better than their, their rivals or scale, size, breadth, industry expertise. They all would claim the same thing. Um, I think you probably run a reasonable risk paying 40 times earnings for a services company in any in any area, but particularly in IT services where there's a very, very you know significant abundance of options and not a lot of pricing power amongst them. Yeah. And as you say, I was thinking when you said 
it's remarkable. It's been around since 1977. Hmm. I thought, that's a really good point with how technology's changed. I just looked up. Um, the first IBM PC, remember it was Mac and IBM were the first, yeah. uh, 1982. So yeah. it was operating before yeah. PCs came onto the market. <clears throat> That's an incredible history to it still is. be around, Mark. It is. Uh, John Grant was the uh, CEO founder there who, right. I think, I'm pretty sure he's still on the board. Right. Um, but he went into rugby. You know, to, to his, oh, yeah, yes. that, that was that John yeah, Grant. That John okay. Grant. Now, we, I know this business very well and I was an investor for many, many years. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I lost interest when we had the Gillard um, uh, Rudd fighting and so on when our election cycle got to, right. must, must messed up because right. Data 3 largely supplies governments, uh, government right. departments. So right. what happened was procurement and new projects, everything got put on hold and it right. hit the whole IT industry. So right. Data 3 took a big slide in, uh, into about 2014. It also made a mistake. Well, it turned out to be a mistake. They uh, went into cloud uh, services as far as setting up their own cloud computing uh, as a service right. before Amazon came on the scene. Now, ah. Telstra did the same thing at the time. And what happened was Amazon came in and said, hello, we're, we're, yeah, uh, we're, 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 we're in the game now. And everyone went, oh, my God. Yeah. Telstra wrote off everything they did and retreated. Yeah. And then Data3 went, oh, I think we should as well. It was a good call yeah. because they took a big hit you know, on, on capital. So they took a loss on that. It took them a long time. It was years to pay it out. And now, the oh, reason yeah. is... Their profit margin is one and a half percent. So they run. This is one of the lowest profit margin co companies in the country, if you like. One and a half percent net high. profit after tax on sales. And the way it works is they largely uh, have partnerships with Microsoft and Oracle and other the other major players. So they go in. So so Microsoft doesn't sell to the government directly. They go through Data Three right. and other intermediaries. Data Three right. is the biggest one. Right. But they're in the top ten in the world of Microsoft partners. So no, no. so major major. So they have a highest rating. So the government would deal with them. The money is paid to them and they pay Microsoft or Microsoft pays them, but there's no risk of stock or anything like that. So right. it's a $100 million contract. They know they're going to get one and a half million net profit right. after tax. So it's small margin on big money. Right. And you go, okay, is that a sustainable business model? Well, it is, as long as they maintain those relationships, of course. Right. So they do have some unique, yeah. uh, a unique position That's in the market. But the survivability Scott brought up was a really good point. They actually went through the shift from hardware to software. It used to be computers, everything was valued on hardware. It was all a hardware mm. business. Yeah. Software came in, there was a total change on how, where the money went. Huh. It used to be all hardware, a little bit for software, became all software, a little bit for hardware. Right. And they've survived every change. They've, they've survived going into cloud and the software as a service, and they still managed to adapt their services. So it's a quality company. Agree with Scott, it's too expensive. Uh, at the moment, um, uh, you, we're showing like, it. On, like on such a, um, got on, uh, bring that five-year chart back up because if you're saying margins are so tight, always have been. Um, look below. Um, can you bring the five-year one up? Um, the um, share price in the last two years, yeah, uh, it it shows has defied gravity in terms of. Well, I think I think what that is it's, it's a combination bucks, of two, two things. Their, two earnings, their earnings have gone run well. Yeah. Okay. Earnings have grown well over the last uh, two years or three. Yeah, they, they have. So been, earnings have grown strongly and they're a tech stock. Right. So you've got okay. to remember the market's oh, going, okay. anything that looks like a tech stock yeah. uh, is getting high, high multiples. Yeah. So they've yeah. had two things. They've had earnings growth, uh, which is the E part, and the yeah. P is sentiment. Yeah. And for return going forward, we're showing data through returning about 
3.6% per year over the next okay. five years on safety and 7.1% so, on our default. Yeah, look at so, that tech boom that yeah, it's written as yeah. well. And I reckon the, the buy price to get is, do you want to buy it under 20 PE, which is about half where it is now. Right, okay. That's interesting. All right, uh, we're going to stay in the tech sector right now because Ray um, wants a view on uh, Zero, the big uh, accounting software platform for... Um, uh, for small businesses, Goldman Sachs recently put out a report and it's now got a target of uh, $153 on uh, zero share price. Recently had some acquisitions overseas, Plan Day and Tickstar. Um, it's on massive multiples, uh, put a lot of uh, resources back into building the company over the last five years or so. And it, I think it was profitable for the first time last year. Yeah, it was the first time they've had a profit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not something we can deal with. It's been a fantastic company. What yep. they've done is they've been a disruptive influence against the Reckons and uh, yep. uh, the uh, Myob uh, my and others, the more yep. traditional ones. And what's happened now, though, is all those companies have now, in many, in a lot of ways, caught up. So yep. the, your competitors, when you, when someone comes in and breaks the business model, yep. and uh, Zero came up with an easier, cheaper yep. uh, online system particularly for new businesses they started winning all the new accounts so yeah. basically all new businesses that started i'd say nearly all of them went on to uh, zero yeah and then they then they built up an army of uh, bookkeepers who would go in and change the uh, accounts for reckon and my yeah. customers and turn them into zero because that's one of the biggest moats uh, yeah. the Is accounting the has a trapdoor moat once you're yeah. in it's very hard to yeah. get out yeah, the opportunity cost, the expense is really large. And they convinced bookkeepers because they were the first ones to go on cloud. So your bookkeeper could log in remotely yeah. and do Work the accounts yeah, so rather, they, rather than come in and sit they, the They've done it the really office. well. And I would say it's a, you could use it as a case study in how a disruptor should come in and run the business. Yeah. But having said that, they're only just profitable now. And I don't think they'll stay that way because they're, they're now looking at doing acquisitions. The trouble with being profitable, as soon as they start having regular profit, they'll be, started to, they'll be treated like a normal company. Right. And then the PE is going to look absurd because, because the multiple is based on uh, this massive growth, which, yep. which, to be fair, has happened on users. It's been super yep. successful. Yep. I'm not knocking it at all. Got massive. Yep. Yeah. Uh, for us, it'd be, we'd need another three or four years before I could give you an intelligent uh, value on what I reckon it's worth. Okay. All right, Scott? I like Zero. The story has been a fantastic one. They've done incredibly well. To Mark's point, you know, one of the, one of the genius parts of Zero is not the software. It's, I mean, that's great, and it's not the partnerships in terms of software partnerships. That's been great, but it was effectively making the accountants their key evangelizers and salespeople. Yeah. Um, you know, when when you we we as a as a family went to a new accountant a couple of years ago, I suppose. Oh, we use MYAB. Like, okay, I guess that's what we're using then. That, that's, I guess that's what we'll do. Um, you know, the accountants are the points of influence, the points of contact. They are the points of conversion for many of their customers. And once the accountant's on board, you pretty much scoop up everybody else. And that was Zero's great insight, as yep. you say, because it wasn't now done on the desktop computer, it was done remotely. The accountant wants to make his or her life easy. How do you do that? Well, you basically say, look, we will effectively give you a discount or a referral or, or whatever. Um, it, you know, we'll, we'll basically kick, give you a kickback to, to get your clients on board. Good for you, good for the clients, good for us. It worked incredibly well. Now, of course, the product had to be great, and it is. Um, I don't think it's actually, to be honest, that much better than the others. We trialed all three um, at the time. There was the Reckon product, the MYOB product, and the, and the Zero products. I'm not convinced Zero is actually that much better as a user, at least that wasn't my experience. Um, but their, their salesmanship and their, their ability to get people on board was second to none. They're also building up great platforms now of add-ins. Um, you know, you can put add a, add a payroll module, I think Zero's got its own now, but you can basically add other modules 
tools to their base platform yep. to do a whole lot of work for you. And that's a really, really strong one. So you become the kind of the operating system, if you like, for a company's financials as those businesses grow from the shoebox tradey right through to the small, medium business. Not many large businesses using Xero for obvious reasons, but uh, it's doing a really, really great job of acquiring customers and really bringing them on board in a, in a fast way. That's been remarkably successful. Now, all of that said, this is a P of 340 times, as Mark said. I don't know what number you said, Mark, from memory, but the numbers I had 340 times. It's a, it's a lot on not much profit, as you said, Koshi, the first time it's made one. This, this business is doing really, really well. The problem with a 340X, to, to, to kind of Mark's point, is the questions get raised. Now, if you make a tiny profit, if you can triple that tiny profit next year, that's 100 times earnings rather than 300, triple it again, from, you know, you go from one to three, three to nine million dollars, for example. These aren't real numbers, but just for the sake of the exercise, all of a sudden you've taken your P from 340 down to 30. And so that can happen really, really quickly and make these high PEs look obviously cheap in hindsight. The problem is I think Xero has done most of its growth already, at least the, the first couple of legs. I'm not saying there's not more to come, but is there enough left in the tank? I, I think, you know, possible. And they can certainly turn off some marketing, turn off some product development and make that bottom line look really, really good, really fast. Under 100 bucks, I'd be a buyout right now. I'm going to give it a miss. Okay. All right. Thank you for that. And uh, Ray? Uh, thank you for suggesting zero. Let's uh, recap the first five stocks and uh, and also uh, Boral as well. Uh, Boral, I know to get in from both uh, Scott and uh, and Mark, but you know if you're already there, hold it. Uh, sea Link, I know. Transurban, I know. Um, um, Scott quite likes it as uh, if you're after income uh, and you want an income portfolio. Uh, Beacon Light here, no. Data 3 are no. And Zero are no. Good company, but just incredibly expensive at the moment. Here on the call, uh, we have our own um, fantasy portfolio. We've been tracking since the 1st of July, thanks to our partner, NAB Trade. Any stocks that get uh, unanimous approval by the expert panel goes into the portfolio. If it comes up again in front of a future, uh, uh, future panel and doesn't get unanimous support, it then comes out. Let's check how we've been doing. Uh, for last week, we're up uh, 0.3 of a percent uh, for the month, almost a quarter percent. And since the 1st of July last year, up 29.5%. Some of the stocks recently added to the portfolio. Uh, Gold Road, uh, BetaShares Climate Change, Innovation ETF, Codan, Silver Lake Resources and Virgin Money. Some of the stocks taken out, Family Zone, Kogan and Harvey Norman. If you want to take a look at all the stocks in the calls portfolio, head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And just on a programming note, the federal budget is all about boosting jobs, spurring economic growth. The assumptions are based on international borders being shuttered until 2022. We unpack the impact on business with uh, the chief executive of the Business Council, Jennifer Westacott. Uh, live from 9.30 or 9.10 a.m. tomorrow to get uh, first reaction of the markets after the budget tonight. All right, let's uh, get into our second five stocks and uh, let's kick it off with ProMedicus. Uh, Scott, healthcare and technology company uh, in radiology, information systems and imaging. Uh, what do you think of ProMedicus? Actually, these guys have done a really, really great job of effectively breaking apart what was otherwise a closed system of uh, radiology imaging and providing a solution which is actually really world class. So effectively, they're taking really, really detailed images, very, very high, you know, large size images. Think about the number of megapixels on a the standard photo you might take with your camera phone, for example, and blow that up. 
and they've turned it into basically a, a system that allows radiologists, diagnostic doctors, both clinicians and uh, you know, primary care doctors to access those images really, really quickly, easily on the go with all the processing done back of house rather than on the devices. That makes it a heap faster, a heap easier, makes it a heap more accessible. The Visage program is what this one's called. They've done a really great job of basically bringing that to market and getting some really key opinion leaders, some of the uh, biggest, most respected hospitals on board to use this in their radiology. And that's been a really, really positive solution for Promedicus. The problem is at the moment, the Promedicus business is still trading on 151 times earnings. Now, earnings have been on a, almost a, a straight to the right lineup. It's been a really, really attractive growth story. And they're signing up a whole lot of long-term contracts. The challenge I have is this seems like a, a stock that is owned by the true believers. Uh, the, I, I get the, the business is doing really, really, really well. I can't fault the business at all. I'm just wondering why investors are pre prepared to pay so much more than arguably I think it's worth so early in its life. Will yeah. it be successful? I think so. Will it grow profit? I think so. Is it worth paying 151 times earnings to find out? I really don't think so. I think this is one of those companies that is, is popular because it's popular. It's got momentum because it's got momentum. Uh, again, you've got to separate the company from the stock price, right? This is not a comment on the company at all. They're doing a wonderful job. I just don't know how investors are prepared to pay this sort of price for it. Yeah. At half the price, I might be interested. Uh, I'm not going to pay uh, more than $40 for okay. Promedicus. I, I was going to say, even though it looks as though it's had a bit, bit of a pullback in the last month or so, um, not a buying opportunity until it gets down to about half the price, down to the 20 buck mark. Look, I mean, you know, it could, it could eventually be worth this, but the amount of growth it's got to do, the amount you have to take on faith yeah. from this point forward for it to justify that, it's just too much for me. Could it be, yeah. could it be done? Of course it could. Yes, absolutely. In some circumstances, we might look back and go, wow, that was a missed opportunity. But uh, you grab half a dozen of these, put them together, I think the average return is going to be pretty ordinary. Mark? Um, yeah, no, I, I concur with most of that. Uh, ProMedicus has been a wealth winner for uh, Team Invest for uh, many years. Mm. So um, virtually everyone has done well on it, has bought it, even when they've bought on these astronomical PEs. And I totally concur what, uh, with what Scott's saying about the uh, having a super high PE. I'm actually showing it 170 times mm. uh, trailing, uh, trailing earnings. <clears throat> um, their average growth rate for the last six years has been 48% a year, EPS well, growth which is fantastic, yeah. off a low base though. Right. If you think about what we discussed with Xero, yeah. you know, that when it's off the low base, you can get really big growth. And as you yeah. get bigger, each contract doesn't move the needle as much. Right. So the, the advantage with ProMedicus is they're signing up uh, hospitals primarily in the US. The US is their main uh, area. Their big breakthrough contract was Mayo Clinic as oh. a reference site, which is like number, one of the number one yeah. in the world. Huge. You know, enormous, yeah. thousands of uh, radiologists and so on. Yeah. And uh, we spoke to the uh, CEO of Mayo. Uh, he was a... He used to be a student of one of our members oh, really? in Australia. He's an Aussie. He's an Aussie. <laughs> and uh, we asked him about their due diligence process when they chose uh, ProMedicus. And he said they did an exhaustive study and he said ProMedicus was the best in the world. Gee. So you know, that, that, that's encouraging. Yeah. They do have patents on their the way they compress the data f to do it uh, down onto your phone and so on. They, right. they, now, I don't know how long how long that's sustainable for, but they actually do have patented processes right. in there, which right. we only discovered recently. Yeah. Um, and look, the, the earnings for the last year dropped to about 24% growth, EPS growth. So is that starting to slow down? I don't know. You know, there's a bit of a corona influence in there perhaps. Yeah. Um, but, you know, all I can say is uh, it's a very, very high PE. I know that everybody, everybody who has bought it at high PEs, is, it has worked because the PE has been high all the time. Right. So if you look at the PE history, um, of uh, it's um, the lows each year going back are in usually 40 or 50 right. and the highs up until recently were 70, 80. Uh, it did go down, by the way, to a PE of um, 41, uh, sorry, uh, 41 
in 2019 and the high was 146. Right. So there is big variations in this. So you can buy yeah. it. Uh, in, in the uh, Corona drop, the share price dropped to $14.50. Uh, and that was a PE of 65. Right. And I know Howard bought some at that figure. Right. Now he okay. said he had to, he said that was a real challenge for him because he said he's never bought any company at a 65 PE. Right. Now with hindsight, he's laughing of course, because it's yep. gone from 14.50 up to $41. Yeah. Uh, and he's not selling. Okay. But a great business Fantastic with a great business. product. Yep. If you buy it at the right price. Well, what's, what's the right price is what yeah. I'm getting at. I reckon, I, reckon a P, I think bucks. the PE under 100. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you'd probably, you'll probably still do well. Okay. Yeah. All right. There you go. Uh, that's a really good analysis, uh, Charles. Uh, thank you for that. Now, Mark Kelly wants a view on fund management group. Um, Janus, do you, or Janus? Uh, Janus uh, Henderson. Yeah, Janus H- Henderson Group, um, which is fun- uh, fundamentally a UK fund manager. Well, it's actually, it's actually, uh, actually, can I find it now? Janus, yeah. Janus, isn't it? Janus. Janus Henderson, yeah. It, it was originally owned by AMP, oh, yeah. and then they, you know, they gave it, the, you know, basically the kiss of death because anything AMP bought, they stuffed up. <laughs> I don't think it was an exception. So they yeah. eventually sold it and then it started to do a lot better. You know, so it was right. released from the death grip yeah. of AMP. Uh, in, and it was listed in the uh, US and here. They then merged with uh, Janus. So this was Henderson, yeah. Henderson Group. They merged with Janus, which is a US-based fund manager, right. mainly bonds. Right. So it's a bit different. Right. Uh, size-wise, I'm uh, going on memory, I think it's about 300 billion right. uh, funds under management. So it's about three times the size of uh, Magellan, right. if you want to look at it that way. So it's okay. big. Yeah. Um, and if you look at their staff ratios, I think Magellan's got like 120. These guys have got 2,500 staff. Wow, wow. So it's just interesting okay. when you look at the businesses. So yeah. the return on equity uh, of uh, Janus Henderson is very ordinary compared to uh, Magellan as an example. Right. Um, and the returns are yeah, fairly mediocre. So we're showing it, um, uh, let's see, return on equity return on is 14. Right. Magellan's about 50 something. Yeah, yeah. Um, the growth rate is 6%, you know, which, is, which, is, which is okay. Uh, we're showing it returning, uh, let's see, I'll find a return for you. It's not bad, it's just a complex business. We did look at it in detail and decided it was too hard. Right. Too okay. many moving parts, too much, too much we couldn't really understand. But we're showing it returning at the moment about um, uh, uh, six, uh, sorry, six point five percent on safety and nine point eight on default mm. is the return. And you know, really, you've got a buy price from our point of view of about forty dollars. Right. It's currently okay. forty-seven, okay. so it's okay. If I wanted to buy a fund manager, I wouldn't buy this. Right, but you still buy Magellan. I, Magellan's was dramatically better than this. Right. So Magellan or uh, a couple others that are good too. Okay. Yeah. All right, Scott. Can't disagree with any of Mark's comments. Gosh, I think I do slightly differ with the outcome just because this looks so cheap based on the current prices. So, you know, I think it's I think fund managers as a group, again, you know, the group matters because some will underperform, some will outperform, are a really good investment option because they tend to be leveraged bets on the movement of the stock market. And for the last century and a bit, the share market's gone up. And so, you know, yes, down from time to time, of course, and there are times when you want to be careful and times when you're not. But broadly speaking, if you're getting a leveraged return on the growth of the share market, <clears> that's a pretty nice starting point. And so the fund managers have this inbuilt tailwind, which unless the market you know, permanently turns down, uh, will remain behind them. Now, they still can screw it up, as Mark already mentioned. AAP has done a stunning job over <laughs> decades of making a mess of something that should have been spectacular. Um, so, you know, it's, always, it's absolutely possible and it could always continue. But at less than 10 times earnings on my numbers, I actually think Janus is probably worth a go. Um, I don't dispute anything's marked. It is absolutely right. This has been underwhelming. I don't even think it's the best fund manager in the park. 
Um, but again, you know, if you're asking for the best fund manager, it's a different answer. If you're asking, do I think it's going to beat the market from here? I think it's probably a pretty good chance. I think mm-hmm. under 10 times, price to book 1.4, which is not cheap, but then it's not a listed investment company. So you are getting some upside. The, the, the bet you're making, the risk you're taking is that these guys can create rather than destroy value with that tailwind always or not always behind them necessarily, but I expect to be always behind them, which is just simply that growth in, in assets under management and the average as, as the average share price. Those are two really, really nice tailwinds. Uh, so put me down as a buy for Janice. Okay. So I'll, um, I'll, I'll agree. I'll agree with that. Well, you're putting it as a buy yeah, as based well. on that rationale. Yeah. Okay. Because I think the difference between saying, is it the best fund manager is yeah. one question. Yeah. Uh, no, but based on the is price, it's, right. it's a reasonable risk reward. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good. It, was good. it was a good point. All right. Um, I love that. Uh, Scott argues over it. You're saying no, no, I, didn't look, I, wasn't looking, I wasn't looking at it that that's way. A really, yeah. That's yeah. why I love doing the segment because mm. it's really, really <clears> good <throat> discussions between our panels here. So, Kelly, really good one there. Um, Scott, David wants a view on Smart Group. This is the salary packaging company, mainly uh, for nurse, government, nurses, teachers, uh, police, SES, fireys, um, mainly in Queensland. David says, seems to have a reasonable growth outlook and a fair dividend policy for yield. I'd really like to get uh, the panel's view, but without trotting out the usual the government some years uh, had a thought bubble to stop salary packaging and the downgrade impact on stocks in that space was harsh and immediate. Uh, he's saying, don't throw that at me. He's not talking about us, obviously. No, no. There must be other commentators <laughs> that trot out the usual. Exactly. So that, it's a good comment on budget day because days like today <clears throat> can have a big impact on companies like this. Not saying it will be. I think the best way to um, stimulate the hospitality industry is uh, Paul's FBT for two or three years. I reckon that would be a great But we just get rid of it. Yeah, get rid of it for a couple of years. Bring back the long lunch. Yeah, exactly. Scott, what do you reckon? I'm, I'm off the lunch. I mean, I actually, frankly, I hadn't thought of this policy idea. I, mean, I think it's a great policy idea, particularly when the CBDs around the country are the ones that yes. are coming most slowly out of this recession, getting people back to some of the CBD-based office locations for yeah. you know a long lunch or a drink after work probably makes a whole lot of sense. I'll agree with yeah. you on that one. Um, look on Smart Group. I, I will... I won't take exception with the way the question was phrased, but I will say that, you know, <laughs> when they don't don't trot out the risk of, of X, the risk of X actually still actually exists. So I'm, I'm, I'm yes. going to say it because it's important for other yes. listeners or other viewers, sorry, to see that and, and realise there is a risk that the government could change their mind. Now, the question's proposition is they won't do it because they don't want to hurt the, the public servants. Uh, if you've been in New South Wales and you've seen the fight that the Ambos have had trying to get pay rises from the government, I don't know. I necessarily yep. assume that was uh, <laughs> that was the only way they'd go, but I take the broad point. So yes, it's a risk. Um, I think I think Smart Group's a buy, by the way. So I'm going to say it's a buy. Mm-hmm. Um, the price is attractive. The yield is very high. It's fully franked. Um, there is, a, I think, a, a long-term but softish tailwind. It's not a strong tailwind. It's not going to knock you over, but there's a nice growth in the number of public servants, okay. the amount of salary packaging that's being done, the attractiveness of that salary packaging. They are attractive things. Smart Group is doing a, a pretty good job. I think it's underappreciated by the market because it's kind of the third line player in this area. Yeah. And so not a lot of people are paying attention. That's where the opportunity is. So I think it's a buy. I think it's a buy, but I do think there is that risk as ever that the change of a pen, as you yeah. said, Koshi, on budget day can change the fortunes of a whole lot of businesses. Um, and so it's one that, that if you're going to buy the shares, you need to know it's a risk, but I would buy them anyway, knowing that. Just be careful, as always, you're diversified. Mm. Okay. Mm. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that uh, that trotting out the usual bit about the government, it, it actually 
It is true though, when you have a business model that is reliant on a government regulation, yeah. it's not even a legislative thing, it can be changed. It was a thought bubble of, yep. of Rudd's yep. originally that yeah. smashed Mill and Shakespeare mm. at the time. So I, I agree with that and I agree that it's an acceptable risk because it's highly <coughs> unlikely that'll happen yep. because of the nature of who are using it. Yep. There's a lot of government uh, employees using it yep. as well, nurses and doctors and so on. So yep. uh, I think they do have a tailwind. They have made quite a few acquisitions over the years and that's getting harder. And one of the things we looked at was that's been a significant part of their growth. The market cap is about 900 million now, so it's a reasonable wow. size, well run. Um, we're showing it returning about 11% on a margin of safety and 22% a year on oh. default, which is good. Yeah. So I'll have to call it a buy as well. Okay. PE's in about about 30% on the 30% range out of 100 high for them. Yeah. So in gross running at 14% a year, ROE's for 17. All good numbers. Okay. So good, good company. Excellent. All right, uh, Mark Jacob wants a view on TPC Consolidated. They're in retail electricity and gas services, prepaid mobile. Um, uh, Jacob says, I bought them at a price of $1.36 on a PE of about four and a half. Very small company. Liquidity could be an issue, but it's very profitable. And am I, uh, and I am doing well currently. The business is founder-led. Uh, what do the experts think? Um, it's not one that we've ever looked at because it's got a 42 million market cap. Right. We sort of, our bottom's about 100, even that's a lot. Right. Okay. Uh, liquidity would have to be an issue. Liquidity is only a problem if you want to sell in a right. hurry because if, if there's no buyers, you can't get it, there's no price. Right. You know, or it could be a ridiculous, you know, could just go to the floor basically. Yep. Yep. But if you're taking a long-term view to it, I don't think liquidity is that big a deal. You know, so you have to be very confident in the company and the management to say that I'm not trading. Trading, it's dangerous yep. with very illiquid stocks. But if you're taking a long-term view to the investment, it's okay. Uh, the numbers are good. He's right. 38% uh, return on equity is excellent. Uh, it's actually at the top of its PE range at the moment, uh, which interestingly is only 8.9 times. Oh. So uh, the, the bottom quartile is 3.6. Right. So this has never had a high PE. You know, so it's actually uh, uh, quite low. And that could be because probably most most people have never heard of it. Right, sure. So growth, growth strong. Um, off a, obviously, obviously off a low base. So I think all the numbers look good and yeah. uh, I'd see no reason so not a, to stay in it. Yeah, it's interesting. We're having trouble getting the chart up at the moment, but uh, in the last 12 months, it's gone from $1.70 to, uh, what's today, three seventy. Um, so it's had a pretty good run, mm. has a, mainly in the, uh, in the last couple of months. Uh, Scott, what do you think of TPC? Yeah, I had the same thoughts as Mark when I first looked at it, Koshi. Uh, you'll, you'll be surprised to know today there have been exactly zero shares trading hands. I just doubled, yep, zero still. And right. yesterday, the sum total of one. There was wow. one share trading hand. Not only that, but if you look at the current, if you look at the current buy and sell orders in the system, this is in the R and the ASX system, the the the, the highest buyer is wants to buy at $3.61, $3.60, which is about, you know, 10 cents less than the current price. The lowest Priced seller currently only wants to sell for four dollars and five cents, which is ten percent above the current price. That's a forty wow. cent gap between the buyers and sellers. So to Mark's right. point, look, I think I, 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 in the spirit of actually what you said before, Kosh, I'll actually, I'll actually come around. I was going to say no. I will say yes on 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 Mark's response. I think which is as long as you want to be a long term shareholder. But here's the caveat, which I'm sure Mark would would agree with. Wanting to be a long-term shareholder and needing to be a long-term shareholder are two very different things. Oh, yeah. You seriously need. So you can't intend to buy this long-term. this in the calls portfolio. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well, okay, because so you don't want to, Their don't average want to volume, line. to take your point, average volume yeah. per day is five thousand two hundred ninety-seven dollars worth of shares. 
Yeah, well, I, I couldn't do it. No. Um, but, but look, if, if you've got, if you're only, if you're a relatively small investor and you're only talking about uh, putting in a thousand dollars or something, right. or as Scott says, you have a portfolio of these things where you're, you know, this would be a good candidate for that. Right, it's okay. not a team invest company. All right, not yet. All right, Scott, our uh, our final stock. Um, you've both surprised me there, but that's fabulous because it means there's investments for everyone. You just yeah. have to assess it to see. Um, how it fits with your with your view. Um, Helen wants a view, Scott, on Fiducian, uh, another um, basically they're into portfolio management, have a lot of uh, in financial planners in their chain, don't they? They do. Of course, just really quickly on TPC, mate, just very, very quickly. Um, if, you, if you think you're a long-term investor, but you don't know you're a long-term investor, don't buy this one because you literally <laughs> will have to, you have, you have, you're going to have to hold it. Like, Quite, quite yeah. literally, if you, if you yes. bought it now and want to sell it straight away, you'd lose 10% on the turnaround just in a single minute yeah. buying sure. from the lower seller and selling to the highest buyer. So just be very okay. careful. Yeah, um, good point. Back to Fiducian. Look, this is, the, this is almost the exact opposite of Janus. It's expensive, but it's growing quickly. And I'm going to also say I think this one's a buy. Now, it, it, for, for the, almost the opposite reasons. Janus has been kind of underwhelming, but is really cheap. In this case, Fiducian's growth has been really, really strong. Their profit growth has been really good. Their returns have been excellent. Um, now, they are priced very highly, so you're paying for that return. And that's, you know, again, you need to know that's the, that's what you're doing. Um, but frankly, thus far, they've been able to both attract funds and deliver performance on those funds. If you want to be skeptical, you say, well, okay, these things tend to mean revert. Maybe this is the worst time to buy a fund manager that's been outperforming. But as Mark mentioned earlier, Magellan has got a stunning track record of long-term outperformance. So I do I like Fiducian at the current price. You, okay. As I said, you are assuming and banking on them continuing to outperform and to attract funds, but they've done it really well. As I said, profit's been growing nicely. This is one of those ones where you just want to back the winner because they seem to keep winning a little like Magellan. Yeah, and no, it's a quality business. We we uh, we like it. So Team Invest has been a wealth winner for us. We know Indy Singh very well, the right. CEO founder. And he's, oh. he's been in, he's been oh, in half a dozen times. Yeah, Zindi's coming. Ah, okay. All right. And, and he, here who goes way, way back. Yeah, um, yeah. Who's he with? Um, he was with uh, uh, Financial Planner. Was he with the IPAC for a while? I don't know. I don't I know his history it was prior. Back uh, in the um, in the Cliff Road days. Of I've IPAC got ten years and, history. No, yeah, 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 <laughs> don't yeah, know yeah. that. No, no, he's yeah. been in the industry for decades. Yeah. So he's he's um, it's a it's a different business model. So basically, oh. what he does is he has. He, he, he's very selective in um, bringing in uh, planners. Yeah. So he's capitalizing, he's a real tailwind at the moment with all the breakups yeah. of the uh, major uh, groups of advisors. So he's taking like one in 40, I think, you know, people they talk to. Right. So he's really picking the eyes out of getting the best planners. So he's, he's got a network of planners, they feed into them. So it's, a, it's all reinforced. So he's got like a vertically integrated business model. Right. So he has advisors at the front end, they bring money into their fund. Now, the way they do it, they don't actually manage any money themselves. Uh, all, right. all, all they do is they're like a fund of funds. So they actually allocate uh, percentages or portfolios to fund managers. Say it yeah. could be Magellan. Yeah. So they might say, we like a particular model that you're doing or, and it's performing this way. So we'll allocate you money. They don't give them the money. The, the, the shares still stay in fiducian and then the manager manages it. So they obviously oh, give them some right. sort of access. Okay. So they can flick the manager at a drop, at a drop of the hat if they don't like them and right. then you give it to someone else. Right. But in that process, they've managed to outperform and I think they've been in the top 10% of fund manager returns for the last five or six years. Right. So consistently performing well with that model, even though you would argue it's an expensive model because you're, you're paying a third party to do it and then you're getting your margin as well. 
but it definitely works right. for them. Right. Uh, then they provide all sorts of uh, uh, functions as well. So they do uh, the seeding of funds and all sorts of stuff. So it's actually quite a vertically integrated, very different model to uh, Magellan, which is much simpler, if you like. But yeah. we like it. And uh, a lot of members are shareholders and done very well. Oh. So I'd say it's a buy. Oh, okay. Even though the PE is in the red, it's on 19 times. Uh, it's, it, it has a fairly, the range is actually pretty consistent. I'll just quickly show you that because that's relevant with, uh, with Fiducian. If I want to show you, I'll tell you. Um, so basically, if you look at their uh, PE range, the uh, lows, bottom quartiles, 14%, top quartiles, okay. 20%. Right. So it's not that big a range. Well, let me tell you, everyone, uh, these guys, after being grumpy in the first half hour, have come home with a wet sail. Um, and <laughs> let's recap the fight of five stocks. ProMedicus, no, great company. Uh, share price too high. Uh, Janice Henderson, a yes. Smart Group, a yes. TPC, uh, a yes. And Fiducian, a yes. Whoa, and Fiducian is already in the calls portfolio. <clears throat> wow. That's a record. You know, now, I think that is a record for we you We go two. for days where there's none. Nothing. Donuts. Ex exactly right. Scott Phillips from Motley Fool. Good to see you, mate. Great to catch up. Beauty. Thanks, guys. Have a good day. <laughs> and Thanks, Mark Morland from Team Invest. My Always pleasure. Great Thank to you have you on board. So three good stocks there, or four good stocks to uh, go into the portfolio. If you want any stocks, you want our panel to cover uh, email the call at osbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at osbiztv um, hmm. handle. Uh, all the stocks in the calls portfolio. Now, three new ones and Fiducian stays there. osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Don't forget, wrap up of the day, subscribe to the uh, Close of Business newsletter, COB. Uh, you get Scuddy's View, the COB podcast, links to all the uh, most popular interviews and videos on the channel during the day. Subscribe at osbiz.co forward slash the COB. Uh, coming up tomorrow, the Chief Executive of the Australian Investment Council, Yasser Al-Anassari, uh, joins us to discuss the government's $1.2 billion digital economy strategy that he says will propel innovation. That's from 1 p.m. right here on Ausbiz tomorrow afternoon. That's it for me. I'm going to go and get locked up until 7 o'clock and look at the budget papers. Uh, but a lot happening this afternoon on Ausbiz back after the break. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.